On this week's Behind the Idea, we're talking pet insurance as we visit True Panion, a heated financial world battleground. Our questions this time around are pretty fundamental. Mike wonders what the end result is of a successful, growing pet insurance industry. Does this actually make anyone better off or is it just stimulative of more transactions and stimulative of the pet healthcare economy? We also spend a lot of time figuring out whether Trupanion should be valued like other insurance companies or whether it somehow deserves the software as a service multiple it gets from the market. I use their recent headquarters decision to reach a tentative conclusion. An insurance company is a financial company, and so you would expect decent capital allocation in a financial company, because that's what they do. They deal with numbers, and maybe that's ultimate proof that Trupanion is not an insurance company, because that seems like a crazy capital, <laughs> capital allocation decision. A high multiple, fast-growing stock that attracts consistent attention from both bulls and bears in 2019 is prone to lead to a polarized debate. Is there any middle ground between Trupanion as a smoke-and-mirrors business and Trupanion as an investor's best friend? We try to figure out on Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. Today we're looking at our best friends and the growing amount of money they cost us. Pets. We're talking pets. Trupanion, ticker symbol T-R-U-P, is a battleground stock. The pet insurance company is either a first mover in a burgeoning field or a souped up insurance company that is pushing regulatory boundaries and terribly overvalued. Which is it? New Seeking Alpha author Simple But Not Easy restates the Trupanion bear case by taking the bull case and working backwards. They say that a bull case is already more than fully priced into the stock and that the company won't achieve that bull case. Does it make sense? And does this focus on the right parts of the Trupanion story? We discuss. Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes Great investment analysis work, based on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, and neither of us have any positions in stocks held, though Mike has a dog and I have two cats. Before we begin, here's a message from our sponsor, Oppenheimer Funds. There are big investment opportunities beyond our borders. Megatrends is a new podcast from Oppenheimer Funds that explores the trends reshaping the global economy. I'm your host, Manita Huja. Subscribe to Megatrends now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I'd also like to make a couple quick shout outs. We got a new review on iTunes from Renee JJ. Here's what Renee had to say. Love this podcast. You ask the guests super insightful questions. I really like when you interview a bull and a bear on a particular company. I like that you both don't act like know-it-alls. It's a casual, open-minded, intelligent conversation. Keep up the good work. Yeah, great. That's really, <laughs> I, that's really kind. Yeah, well, I like that you both don't act like know-it-alls. Leaves room for at least one of or for one of us to be acting like a know-it-all. And so, thanks, Renee JJ, for you know being nice to Daniel about that. Well, it's we have a it's like the no homers joke from Simpsons. We have a no know-it-alls quota here, so only one at a time. We also had 
Adrian reached out to me on LinkedIn and said he was a fan of our Amazon episode with Professor Demodorin. You and me both, Adrian. He also said that any episode where you cover a single stock name is of interest to me. I'll listen. Most finance podcasts just have broad market macroeconomic discussions. That's what we're going for. We're really trying to get deep dives on stocks. So glad it's hitting the mark. The The last review, I don't think we've called this out before. And if we have, you'll have to forgive us. But not all of our reviews are good. And we wanted to still we're equal transparent. opportunity yeah. review shout out program here. We uh, got a review from Jane Please Focus, though I think that name is related to another podcast. And here's what they said. Try the PCG episode. Alexandra, the guest, seemed really knowledgeable, but the dude interviewing her sounded like he was tweaking out. Do yourself a favor and write down your questions so you can use your words. Content seems like it could be good if they prepared a bit better. We're uh, we're trying. We tweak out every episode. We're tweaking out right now. I think sometimes we just let our guard down and uh, it comes through the mics a little bit more. But we're both super tweaking right this very minute. I'm not sure how much we can really do about that. But Alex, Alexandra is a true professional. And I think, of course, that's why that's shown through. It was really more the contrast. We'll get more, pe- we'll get more guests that are also <laughs> tweaking out and then you won't be able to tell. I was going to go with the raise the bar mentality, but fair enough, Mike. Fair enough. Dilute. Dilute it. <laughs> this is the dilution <laughs> podcast. Okay. Let's get into True Panion. Mike, what's the story here? Wow, did you write that question down? That was really straight straight ahead. <laughs> I'm learning. What's the story? Okay, so there are sort of three different pillars to this short thesis. And the first one is one that authors have come back to on True Panion multiple times. I know that Seeking Alpha author, The Capitalist, who I work with fairly closely, has been all over this case and kind of has been reporting the story periodically for months now. The main anchor of The Capitalist thesis and the main one, I think, of most people who are looking at Trupanion is that Trupanion sells pet insurance, but it's valued like a tech startup or like a really high value software as a service company. And the tension there is that, or the claim at least by the short side of the argument is that insurance is really boring. Insurance companies are measured at some multiple of their book value on their balance sheet and generally not valued based on their sales and certainly not valued for astronomical growth. Because although insurance is regulated, it's fairly competitive as an industry and the products eventually become pretty undifferentiated. You know, uh, life insurance is more or less the same uh, wherever you get it. Lives and health are kind of insured in all the same way. So the argument is basically if you pull back the curtain on True Panion, which has this kind of cuddly and tech-savvy and startup-y image to it, what you end up at the end of the day with is something that's a lot more like a company like State Farm, which is, there's nothing really new about a company like State Farm. They may be a very good business, but um, they certainly don't deserve this kind of valuation that 
suggest that they're going to just have a really well-protected business that's going to grow into perpetuity, something like a Salesforce or a Workday, one of these technology-driven companies that really do have a kind of software as a service model. So I think that's the first argument. Uh, I find it credible. What do you think, Daniel? I think the... I, I'm trying to think of why the category specifically matters. And I was trying to like why I get the point that's being made, right? That valuing something like an uh, SAAS company instead of an insurance company. I understand that they have different characteristics, but I just, I've, I was trying to break apart what literally the dynamic is of calling. Cause it's, you know, it's interesting. I think it's this article where he makes the point the author makes the point that the subscriptions are really just insurance premiums, which are actually sort of more or less the same thing. We call one thing a subscription and the other a premium, but you sort of subscribe to your health insurance, whatever else, and you choose whether to stick around or not. So I think it's- You choose whether to stick around or not? Oh, you mean with the insurer, not- Yeah. (laughs) Not with your life. (laughs) That's a little deep here. No, That's a little no, no. deep. Yeah, let's back up. Back up. Okay. So. <laughs> so, so yeah, but so, but you get into these things, and I'm just you know, and I think that's where it's it's actually a really interesting breakdown because you get to the the slide that they have, which they actually go in their next point. The author gets to the next point from the Trupanian slide, but it's really an interesting model to break down because you have cost of goods, which in insurance companies you call i think that's the loss ratio and then you have variable expenses fixed expenses which is what you're paying people within your organization and then there's also an acquisition cost which is what you're actually trying to you know if you're trying to sell these policies to somebody you have to that costs some money somewhere commission to sales or whatever else and when we talk about subscription business you talk of cost of acquisition or customer acquisition you talk about lifetime value, churn, retention, all these things. And so it's interesting to me. I, I, to me, it sort of seems like a side point. It's, it's, it's a fair point, I think, to, to restate that this is an insurance company, but I think that's actually not that important to this because I think we more want to get into the pet industry, pet insurance industry and what the prospects for that are and whether Trupanion can achieve that sort of, industry dominance of the sort that you talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Lyft and Uber, for example, like, does that make sense? That's the only thing that really matters here to me, not what we call it. Yeah. I'm trying to get at what might be the distinction. Basically you're saying, how are we sure that these are really two different business models, which is attacks the basic premise of this first leg of the short thesis, which is it should be valued as this one type of business that's distinct from this other type of business. So it should be valued like an insurer because that's what it really is. But it is valued like a SaaS business. Uh, Those two things are different. It should be valued like one or the other. And your point is kind of, well, are they really that different? I'm going to try and sort of think of a way that they are different. And one thing that comes to mind is the customer relationship between SaaS businesses versus the customer relationship with insurers. My impression is that you get 
you work with Salesforce and you get enterprise software installed at your company. And there are many stakeholders in using that same enterprise software. So the customer relationship becomes more sticky. It's harder to switch than it is, you know, if you don't like your insurance, you can just get different insurance and it's fine. So that's one thing. And then another is I wonder if the liabilities actually stack up the same way. Uh, and I don't have a fully formed thought on that. So yeah, I, I when you're talking about the liabilities, I, I think about something else. When we're talking about insurance companies, what do you actually think about with insurance companies? You think about a lot of float. You think that they essentially collect premiums that they have to pay out in a high degree at some point. And this is an area where I'm sympathetic to this being somewhat different than an insurance company because, you know, Trupanion, a lot of the the sort of fuzzier parts of the story are around Trupanion really solving a need for a lot of customers in terms of a phrase that comes up in all the bull theses I read. And I read, I'll shout out a couple of the bull theses I read. One was from Travis Wiedauer who is a Seeking Alpha author and FinTwit participant. So shout out to Travis. And then also at Intrinsic Investing, I think is their handle, in Ensemble Capital, who does some really interesting stuff on their blog and on FinTwit as well. And the e- economic euthanasia is a term that comes up a lot as something that Trupanion solves, which is essentially that you get to a point with your animal where the cost it would take to operate on them, to keep them healthy, whatever else becomes prohibitive. And, and you, uh, you just have to put them down because you can't afford to do that. And what Trupanion does is it sort of controls that cost for the customer. It provides some predictability. And so then the vet, the way they describe it, the bulls describe this as a three way win, win, win. The, pet stays alive and the owner's happy, the vet gets to deliver good care and Trupanion delivers the strong result for the customer. And so I think about that and I think about another sort of, I don't know if everybody's making a pun when they say this, but people will talk about how there's less of a long tail risk with Trupanion, which I don't, (laughs) I didn't say it. I'm quoting it. Okay. But they... They talk about this within the context of the, you know, pet costs are not going to spiral. You're not going to have a Hurricane Michael of pet costs, right? Like, even given you might solve this economic euthanasia problem, and even given another one of the bull points, which is that pet care costs are going to rise 6% year over year for a long time. We can get into that in a second, but I do think that there's some... Some dynamics of the pet insurance industry that I buy as being different than your humdrum casualty and what I, I'm forgetting the category name, but your humdrum fire and ins- fire insurance or whatever else. And so I guess I, I'm not justifying, but when I, I think we again, that's where I say, all right, let's look back at the metrics. There isn't a ton of flow in Trupanion's business. I, they have net cash, they have short-term investments, but it's not like some crazy amount. It's growing. But I don't know. I just that's something that I sort of sort of think about as as a why these categories might matter and how to break them down. Yeah, so uh it makes me think of a couple of things. One is the uh 
the range maybe. So you have, it's basically health insurance, right? Health insurance for people, that's got to be kind of have the closest to home demand characteristics. People are most emotional about themselves and their loved ones. And then pet insurance is probably in some middle range where pets are increasingly part of the family if you sort of buy that narrative. But they're not like yourself or your spouse. And then, or your children, if you have children or your siblings, you got the idea. So that's one thing that I think is like, in terms of the emotional need to have security and to provide, there is some degree, there's some affinity with health insurance that way. But I don't know if that necessarily connects into the idea of like people love their pets. And so there's going to be tons of demand for this. So I don't, I don't know. Then the second thing I thought of was, are we sure that this is a good business? Is, is this just going to create a situation where insurance actually just stimulates demand by itself? Because if you've paid for the insurance, you've already paid for the procedure in advance. What I'm curious about is I think insurance actually is stimulative of demand. And that's true. I, or at least I wonder about that. I wonder if one of the reasons health insurance and health costs are going up so much is because it's easier to make a purchase decision if you feel like you've already paid for the service ahead of time or that you're covered by insurance. So I don't know. I feel like that thought crosses my mind occasionally. Like if my, uh, washing machine were to break down. I would, I have homeowner's insurance. I would just feel like, well, I'll just like call the homeowner's insurance company up and then I'll get a replacement washing machine. So is that actually going to, that goes to this virtuous triangle. Like, does this actually make anyone better off or is it just stimulative of more transactions and stimulative of the pet healthcare economy instead of actually like, I don't know. I guess that's the same sort of moral catch 22 you get into when you talk about the healthcare industry. But I just think it's, I don't know if it's necessarily any kind of virtuous, exogenous factor entering this marketplace. This is like, uh, I feel like we're just on the cusp of unlocking all the questions about modern economics right there. What is the purpose of increased transactions? Do we really need the stuff we buy, Mike? Well, we do, right? We're everyone's better off when we transact, right? That's the sort of, but that's can that be true? Yeah, we gotta get we're getting we're spiraling out well, of control no, here. But I, <laughs> no, but I think here's where here's where I think this is important. That's why I'm so true. Panion, uh, the author's next point is that if you take the company's bull case and work backwards. The company is trading at 23 times 2022 net income, right? And then the author will get their, their third point is that they're not going to get there for various reasons. And then there are a few other things in there. But what I think is interesting here is that, or what we're, we're hitting on is nobody likes their insurance provider as a health, health insurance and, and health, you know, we're entering the election cycle. Health insurance is going to be a big topic, et cetera. Like, Nobody wants health insurance companies to do well, except the health insurance companies. And, you know, maybe some people who recognize that you need the health insurance companies to succeed to help the system. <laughs> I like, there there may be some. Party. 
<laughs> talk to him at cocktail hour <laughs> or or woman, I guess. But so with the pet insurance companies, you think about who your target is for pet insurance. And I go back to the bull cases that are made and I just think like it it hits close to home because you talk about because your cats uh, jump so out on the, the window one, of your of your apartment. The, well, the yeah, but <laughs> but what <laughs> what I mean is that they talk about the secular drivers about deferring having pets and deferring children. They talk about people who feel like pets are a part of the family. And one of my cats has been dealing with a mild health issue for the past few weeks. And window jumping. Wife has <laughs> that was last year. This this is maybe a second order repercussion, but he's he's got just like a saliva gland that's blocked. But I, my wife has literally said these are our children, and we need to treat them that way. And you know she's like ninety five percent serious, and so that's like right on the nose. And when that's part of the bull case, and what I'm getting at by this, so that's where the TAM will grow. The, total addressable market. And they point out that in Europe, the numbers, the penetration of pet owners having insurance is five to 25%. In the US, it's one to 2%. Pet insurance in the past was kind of shady, apparently, and this is kind of professionalizing it, etc. But I think what's what we're getting at is that on the one hand, you're right, that this is sort of just inflationary, stimulative of its own desire it's growing for the sake of itself right and you, you might have interesting comments to share about this but like ultimately the our desire to spend on our pets is reflective of ourselves and our sort of you know it's not fundamental economic need it's not something that you really the the satisfaction of taking care of a pet is is wonderful, but it's also not something we need to spend on as much as we have. But the people who do spend on it are more than happy to. And the question is how many people out there would be willing to spend a lot of money on this? And then do you get to the point where they start griping about pet insurance the same way that they do about health insurance? Like do costs spiral out? And if so, is it in the right mar- part of the market? And I think it won't ever be quite like health insurance because I don't think it'll ever become something that everybody feels obliged to have. Whether it has negative repercussions. <laughs> Single payer health insurance, pet health insurance, Medicare for pets. <laughs> Medicat for all. Yeah. The, the health insurance, but I think that, you know, there could be negative repercussions as it drives up veter- uh, veterinarians' costs because they're used to dealing with pet insurance. One of the bold cases is that Trupanion has this really effective software that locks in veterinarians and they have a reputation for being quite customer centric. And, you know, we had a good comment from on, I think it was this article, it might have been another article that was posted on Essay from, Voltface Investments, who's a contributor, also another FinTwit member, pointed out just from like personal experience, Trupanion seems to have a better reputation than some of the peers they're rep- compared to. And anyway, I just think it's really interesting because it, it's, I guess what I'm getting at is this is a totally discretionary thing. And so your discretionary business, you have room to grow, even if it is inflationary, but at some point it feels you want to get off the carousel. And I guess that's part of the dynamic here that it's worth that we're, we're getting at. I don't know. Does that make any sense? I know I rambled. 
Yeah, it does. I I wonder if it maybe is there's like a virtuous spiral upward, but probably a virtu- a vicious cycle downward also. Like the inflationary, uh, this sort of self reinforcing inflationary process is probably good in the short short term for investors, and you can build a business off of it. But yeah, there's a question about how what the end state of demand for this product is going to look like, and where like the sort of when the marginal customer is going to be sort of tapped out. And this question between whether this is discretionary or non-discretionary, I think is really a bull and bear sort of argument because, you know, the bull side is like people view pets as family members. And then, you know, I have relatives who view pets as like things, you know, so I think there is some tension there and we don't really know where that equilibrium is. Let's take a quick break for another word from our sponsor, Oppenheimer Funds. Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from Oppenheimer Funds called Megatrends. There are big investment opportunities beyond our borders. Megatrends explores and explains those opportunities. I'm your host, Manita Huja. I'm an award-winning business journalist and author. Tune in to hear me talk to the experts about thinking globally when it comes to investing. Subscribe to Megatrends now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Okay, back to Trupanion. So let's let's get into the numbers a little bit to s- sort of bring it back and, and go back to the author's points because they're so they they take the target economics. I, I sort of mentioned that already in twenty two twenty three times two thousand twenty two net income if everything goes to plan. Yeah, that's that's probably a pretty. We could go galaxy brain here and make a case for that. I think you could say that the they they are going it's a growing market and they are going to be the first mover they have that better reputation they have these sort of software advantages they just they're they're sort of professionalizing what seemed to be a quite shady and quite sort of you know guy with trench coat sort of industry and so they're going to reap some some advantages from that. They're going to reap some upside from that. And so there's going to, they're going to grow into that potentially, but yeah, it's, it's an expensive stock. And I don't think I, even the bull cases, they, they sort of hand wave valuation. They're not really breaking. They're saying, here's where it could be X time from now, but they're still using pretty high exit multiples, et cetera. So I, I think that's, I, I like cases that start with the other side of the story and then break down the numbers and why, even if that plays out, it wouldn't work. And I think they do that effectively here, but then they, they get into the sort of, actually, we don't think they're going to get there and here's why. And I thought this was the interesting part. They point out the lifetime value to customer acquisition cost ratio is going down, which is essentially, you know, the sales commissions or whatever else you're paying up front, how much, how much does that return? What's your ROI on that? And the higher that ratio is, the better, but it's dropped significantly according to the author. And so again, if we're dealing with this as an SAS, that's a concern. And then they do some interesting stuff in terms of breaking down the subscription revenue versus other revenue, which is essentially just revenue that they generate themselves versus revenue that they're, that is, I think, a third party is selling and then bringing to them. I, I, I'm not sure where, which way the third party action works. If that's just 
somebody is selling true panion policies for them or if they're just underwriting other true panion uh, if they're writing other insurance policies but that is the that's an interesting argument because essentially they're saying that the indirect channel is growing much faster and has a has worse economics. And so even if you have this growth under the hood, there's something not there. So I don't know. It's, it gets us back to the numbers. And I think that's, I think the numbers are the easiest part of the bear case and the hardest part of the bull case. And I don't know. Uh, What do you think? How do you, how do you take that? Uh, I come back to, yeah, I mean, I think you were right. Galaxy, it's a little bit galaxy brain to look at this business and say we're at 23 times 2022. You know, 2022 gets closer and closer as time goes by, I've noticed. So maybe it's not as wild as it was when you and I first started talking about stocks. But it does seem like a rich valuation. And to me, the issue is kind of... Do we really think that there's this, if you take the bull case as kind of there's untapped market here, they're going to consolidate this and they're going to have great branding and great pricing power and people are going to sort of love this experience of buying health insurance for their pets. And so they'll stick with it, et cetera. Maybe margins expand as it becomes easier to retain customers than it is to acquire them, whatever. I think it's shaky. I don't know. I I go back to the point earlier about I think that there's really strong demand for this product among the early adopters of the product, but I don't know how far out on the distribution you get before people are like, I'm not paying X dollars a month. So my dog, you know, in case my dog gets sick, I just think that there, I don't know if we know the limit of the, demand side of this. And I think that's really critical. If this is going to be a growth-driven thesis where the market's underpenetrated, that's the shaky part for me. And so the the multiple, I think it's already priced in for a lot of success. And I think that one of the underpinnings of that success, this assumption that the market's really there just waiting is a shaky one. So I'm not I'm not in on this really at all. Just on, and that's just on the sort of straightforward basis. Let me just try to try to go Peter Lynch here and give some, yeah, by all means, some argument for where that where you could make a case here because I think it I think what it ultimately comes down to is what is going to be sustainable, what is going to help the customer, and if it is just if insurance just causes an inflationary system that leads to ultimately worse outcomes for more people or like some sort of, you know, essentially taking money from suckers who want to pay for their pets or whatever else. Sorry, pet owners. But I think that you get into this sort of, there is a limit, but if you, if it's cost controlling, but you know, and in an attractive economic package for all people around because it creates cost certainty, it saves it saves the veterinarian's credit card fees. Like there are some other things involved here that sort of are benefits, like then maybe it works. And so a common staple of the bull case is that in Europe, penetration is much higher. You know, Western Europe, anywhere from five to 40%, according to a 
Travis Weedauer article. And I, and I don't actually have firsthand experience of having pets in the US for, for long. We brought ours home to the States for a few months, a couple of years ago, and that's it. But we, we had quite a lot of pet costs over the last year for one of our cats who fell off our balcony, jumped out the window, <laughs> fell off our balcony and survived. <laughs> So it was- Did you have to defend what was the what was the questioning like <laughs> at the vet? We so it fell out the window, huh? Or wait, you said it jumped off the balcony. Which is better, if it jumps or if it falls? <laughs> no, it, it fell. It fell. He it fell. He okay. was trying to get over to the neighbor's balcony, and there was a fence, and it pushed him <laughs> back. It was. I don't think we. It's not funny. Sorry, sorry. He Daniel. survived. He's, Daniel's wife. <laughs> he, he's he's happy. He's healthy, except for mild things. But anyway, there were some costs involved. There was a broken jaw. There was some leg soreness. There's it, it, okay. That's not funny. So I apologize for laughing. No, it's 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 like a cartoon in my mind. So, it's, but this is a real cat with real, <laughs> real, real feelings. <laughs> he's he's okay like it's okay but he but it, you know it's cost us some money and you could have met i don't think we would have gotten an insurance policy because they would have told us you idiots put nets on your balconies so your cats don't fall which we've done since and if we had done beforehand would have obviated this whole thing and i was being like this is my fault this is 100 percent my fault i love the, the financialized solution is the buy insurance and then the ac- actual solution there's some lesson there for finance geeks around the world just put nuts up close the window <laughs> you don't need true panion that's what so yeah we just the the indirect competitor that no one's talking about here and really the important one is just the netting industry is the real beneficiary of these market dynamics i think long net yeah trampolines the trampoline business so I guess I just punctured the, but I was going to say that you could have seen where insurance would have helped us with these costs, but no, actually my other point was as we- as can see where nuts would have helped you with your costs. I, I, my point here is that as we were pay, shucking out all these euros to bring my cat back to more or less full health, we, my wife kept saying like, and, you know, and my wife is less- less concern like i'm the i'm the more uh, thrifty in the relationship but she kept saying like look this is way cheaper than it would be in the states are you kidding like a surgery to fix a broken jaw would be you know thousands of dollars or whatever like she was throwing numbers at me to try to make me feel good about how much we were spending here i don't know if that's true but i guess that would be your argument that if you're in a market where there is a lot of insurance penetration and yet costs are actually competitive or attractive to the u.s then maybe this does work for everybody so i you know oh yeah i i get it now we haven't done that research and so i don't want to overstate that point but you could start to see where you know (laughs) let's just make a really ham-handed analogy here the whole premise of the Affordable Care Act was that if you have a mandate and the healthier people are bought in costs are lower for everybody else so I don't know, Mike. Maybe maybe if we enrolled our healthy animals in this program, then when they jumped from the balcony from time to time, it would be okay. <laughs> Boo has not jumped from any balconies so far. Uh, I guess it's really possible. 
I'll look into some netting. I'm still not <laughs> not yet a customer of pet insurance. We're pretty far away. Or we're are we circling around relevance to the investment case? Where are we here? Well, I, I think the, we're trying to. I think I I, I had sort of. There are a bunch of other fun aspects that we could get into this story, but. I think the fundamentals are, is this, is this a great business? Is this a great industry? And is this a great stock at this price? Because I think the valuation is such that the answers to all of that, to the first two have to be yes. And to the sec, the last question, it has to be like, it's an okay. It's a great company at a good price or a fair price or whatever. Like that's, I think that's the only way you can get into this. And I think we're both, I don't want to speak for you too much, but I think we're skeptical that this is a i think this is probably a better industry than your humdrum insurance industry as i've said i don't think it's i i'm skeptical that there's quite the runway that the bulls are building into this and i am skeptical in trupanion i i can buy that trupanion is is doing this in a better way how much of a moat that will build over time, I don't know. But I, I can buy that part. But yeah, I think the industry dynamics are what really are going to fundamentally matter as to whether this story will add up over time or not. I don't know. Do you – do you, and that's where I think the relevance of our conversation comes in. What say you? I don't view insurance as a particularly – Attractive. This is one way that where Warren Buffett and I are are on different sides of of an idea. I just don't see it as having that great of characteristics. But and I don't I don't buy that this is a differentiated type of business model from standard insurance. I think you know you. It's just a risk redistribution process and between the customer and the provider and well i think they're in a new market i don't really know how big the market is i just am not nothing about this is like yeah i think i definitely want to be in on this and then the valuation just makes it worse i i guess i've i've been reading too much of the capitalist on this I just am not in on the, I don't, I don't think the business model is particularly attractive. And so the rest of it just kind of falls apart from there. I don't, I don't really, and maybe that's just too naive, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like okay. where, where's the, where's the economic, where's the protection against an entrant here? Is it hard for State Farm or Geico or anyone else to create a pet insurance product and just co-sell it across with whatever else they're doing? I'm not sure. They're not in the business already. Maybe that means something. But yeah, that's well. So it, it's interesting because I feel like I often end up being more bearish than you, and so it's interesting that I'm I'm sort of trying. Uh, I feel a little bit more confident about the industry. But yeah, I hear you. I I, I don't know that. I, I'm. I would say I'm still fairly skeptical that this plays out. I think. I I guess I come out the way I do sometimes with these stories that kind of polarize I, without knowing all the regulatory stories. And I, I wanted to sort of bring up a couple last bear treats as the author called them, but I don't think this seems like a fine business. It seems like it's an overvalued business and that's like, it doesn't have to be much harder than that. It doesn't ha- mean that it's the, 
that it's an awful company and it doesn't mean that it's this brilliant company. And I think that's what's interesting here. One of the things the author raised that you brought up in your notes was about the concept of mission creep, which leads people to, once they take a long or short position, they tend to then see everything through that lens and everything is either good or bad. And I think that's really interesting here because you have just the dynamics of the story. We're talking about pets. So if you have had this sort of experience, it's very salient. There's immediacy bias and you can, you could see longs, you could see being comfortable with a long position because you could imagine as a pet owner, but then also you've got a founder, you've got like a compelling founder story here, which we've talked about before and which people really love. And then you also have a, on the bearish side, you have some funny things going on, right? You've got the, well, you've got the re- regulatory stuff. If I, I don't know if that's what the capitalist is talking about. I don't know if you want to go into that, but. Yeah, just briefly, the capitalist has cataloged sort of, and I would, I would argue, I'm not totally sure that we, I would call this mission creep because I think basically brick by brick, the capitalist is building this story of, Ultimately, this insurance is going to be regulated in the same way that a lot of other insurance products are. And Trupanion has taken some, adopted some sales strategies where the rules were somewhat ambiguous or potentially they were just trying to elbow their way into the market and were, you know, uh, sort of not, I don't want to say circumventing, but, you know, erring on the side of aggression with, this is the capitalist argument, erring on the side of aggression with respect to licensing and who needs to have a license and who can recommend insurance and who can't. And the the tenor of this series of posts sort of has this tone of mission creep in the sense that it's like, this is big regulatory issues. And if you catalog them one after the other, it looks big. But I think the capitalist was reasonably even keel about the whole story, just saying not that this is bad or that shareholders are going to eventually be ashamed of themselves for having invested in a company that finds itself on sort of the wrong side of the law. Instead, it was like, it's more expensive to conform to the regulations. They're not conforming to the regulations in all cases, in the capitalist opinion. And so the costs are going to go up and the business characteristics are going to be less attractive just for that reason. So, well, I think the capitalists made some headlines around that kind of discussion. I'm not really sure that it was actually that sensational an argument, which I think is interesting. Okay, fair point. I also think that the headquarters bit is kind of funny just because it's just kind of, it's just one of those sort of, I don't think it's actually that important, but it is just, because I think the deal was that they, did a issuing? Did they do an, a secondary offering, a equity offering to buy their headquarters at a really high price? And that's just, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a little bit curious. It, and and maybe that's where we loop back to where we started. That it, an insurance company is a financial company. And so you would expect decent capital allocation in a financial company because that's what they do. They deal with numbers. And maybe that's ultimate proof that Trupanion is not an insurance company because that seems like a crazy 
capital capital allocation decision. Yeah, let's just quote the let's just quote the article real quick cuz I think it's put in funny terms by our author here. Okay, here goes. In June, the company priced a $60 million secondary offering at a 20% discount with the head-scratching use of proceeds of buying its Seattle headquarters building unlevered at a 3.5% cap rate. Additionally, only 10% of the value of the building can be treated as an admitted assets for insurance company regulatory capital. So management is effectively selling $60 million of stock and investing $10 million of that in investment that purports to have a customer lifetime value of 4.5 times customer acquisition costs, et cetera, et cetera, at a yield of 40 basis points over a 10-year treasury bond. So yeah, basically, like you said, that seems just like poor capital allocation decision-making. And I think... I think it ties back into this idea of a charismatic, interesting CEO. I'm on the I'm on the True Panion story page right now. Daryl, the CEO, Daryl Rawlings, Daryl Rawlings. He tells the story and he says, "I had a I had a pet, uh, but we didn't have enough money when I was young to save the pet dog Mitzi, and it broke broke his heart, and then." He tried a bunch of other sort of businesses and career paths, but never felt content. And at the same time, he had a he had a pet. He was working at his first company, a cigar business, when he finally found his true calling, which is to found True Panion. So I think in that story, I don't hear a you know, that's not a a sort of Warren Buffett type figure or a. Ajit Jain, I want to say, from Berkshire. It's not some sort of master of finance and risk risk adjustment and underwriting. This is a person who has a great story, a compelling narrative, and is effective at starting companies. Is that going to be that? This, that's where this headquarters purchase comes in. Uh, that's a different skill set from sort of insurance underwriting, which is dorky and very price focused and price sensitive. And I get the sense that this company operates more like a startup. And so if that disconnect is important and if pet insurance is more like regular insurance than it is like software as a service, then that's these capital allocation decisions are going to make a big difference as to how competitive Trupanion is as a business in the long run. So I think it's a cute story, but I think it also says something kind of about the overall story here. What kind of business is Trupanion? You know what you can say, though, for Daryl Rawlings? Really has fur in the game. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. We're leaving that in. <laughs> I couldn't deliver that without laughing. <laughs> Nuts. All right. I think we should. I think we should leave it there. There, there is I'm not, sas- prepared, I, I'm not prepared to continue. <laughs> They're a SaaS company because they act like a SaaS company and they lose money. I think that's our conclusion. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Much like your cats, we're really coming in for a solid <laughs> landing here. <laughs> you know, the thing we learned about with cats is that when they fall from such a height, they spread their legs out and it's like wings and it kind of slows them down. Oh my gosh. 
it's I I might be having too much fun with that story, but uh, I like it. Okay, <laughs> okay, so I'm bearish on Trupanion. You're not so sure. I wouldn't invest in it in at a quarter of the price, probably. But I think it's a. I think there's. I'm sympathetic to the case that there's a company here that has. Like, I think it'll. I I, I don't know. I think it'll probably continue to grow. I think it'll. The company itself will be fine. I think the stock is overvalued, which you know you can say about a lot of companies. And so I don't know. It's not. I'm not sure what the catalyst will be for a short case to play out in the near future. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. If we buy the sort of thing that it's going to get harder for them, but they may continue to grow, then maybe this is not very much of a short. Uh, so, all right, I'm updating my base expectation based on this discussion. So that's always good. All right, Daniel. All right, Mike. Have a great uh, weekend, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Right, bye. One last word from Oppenheimer Funds about their podcast, Megatrends. There are big investment opportunities beyond our borders. Megatrends is a new podcast from Oppenheimer Funds that explores the trends reshaping the global economy. I'm your host, Manita Huja. Subscribe to Megatrends now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We hope you enjoyed it. We probably had too much fun with this discussion. That said, we hope to follow up with bulls and bears on this stock. So if there's anybody you'd like to hear from that has written up Trupanion or is in the industry, let us know at btipod at seekingalpha.com. Leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts to help other investors find this podcast. We're covering a former dividend herd stock that is trying to find its feet again next week, so stay tuned for that. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening, and see you next week on Behind the Idea. 